Welcome to the Nopal Queens podcast. This is your chingona, La Sirena, a licensed clinician and higher education professional. Hola, and I'm La Estrella, and I'm a first-gen financial inclusion and brand marketing leader and badass queen. And here at Nopal Queens, we serve up real conversations about mental health and wellness from the Latinx perspective. Come on in, familia. Están en su casa. Welcome back to Nopal Queens podcast. This is season three, episode one. I'm La Estrella, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, La Sirena. Hola, I'm glad to be back. I am so excited about today's episode. With us today is Gloria de Leon. She is founder of Cualtura, and she is also a freelance consultant. Gloria brings over 10 plus years of experience in HR client consulting, Through self-reflection and investigation, Gloria writes about the dualities between first-generation barriers and capitalistic expectations. Welcome, Gloria. Hi, thank you so much for having me. My name is Gloria, and I identify as a a first-generation Guatemalan-American Latina, and I was born in South Central Los Angeles to immigrant parents. Currently, as you had mentioned, I am really following my passion, and that passion is to look at those dualities between first-generation professional barriers to success, but also the expectations that capitalism has when we think about work or work-life balance, as you will. I Mm -hmm. deliver these findings through my blogs. So in my blogs, I I write about topics related to socioeconomic class and implicit bias, And along with that, I do the consulting and the freelancing. And all of this is within the bucket of first-generation professionals. Wow, that's impactful. Yes. So with that being said, before we jump into it, why don't we do a little little round-robin check-in? Sirena, how have you been the last couple of months? Okay, well, like you said, welcome to season three. Um, We are continuing on with this mission to just make space for, you know, talking about mental health and wellness from Latinx perspective. And who would we be if we didn't do our own check in today? So I, I'm pretty good. As you know, La La Estrella, um, I just had a big move in my life. So I just accepted a, a new job at another university and I moved cities and pretty much yes got a new job in a new city and I'm getting married in two weeks so (laughs) ask me how I'm doing (laughs) Uh, but it's all good officially begun yes it is wedding month um so my brain goes back and forth between the move job the wedding it's just like totally consuming my whole life right now (laughs) but all good things you know I can't complain of course you got the wedding drama you know you got the folks that um yeah can't have a wedding decide yeah exactly not a latino (laughs) wedding without drama oh my gosh I know (laughs) yes so um that's fun and um but it's not well I mean I'm proud of myself because this time, I think this version of myself 
can handle that. You know what I mean? Like I don't own anyone's reactions to anything mm-hmm. and it just feels a little different this time. It just feels like I'm more, I've just done a lot of work. So I, as we go into this wedding and the new job and the move, like as things happen, I'm like, okay, it, you know, just kind of focusing on what I can control and then just letting go. Cause mm-hmm. it's an energy game, you know, for me, but yeah, as, is. and that's yeah. what makes it doable like this whole move is great there's been a little hiccups around like the wedding and family and stuff but it's not been a big deal for me I've been able to let it roll off my back (laughs) and I feel like I'm proud of myself for that I think young me would have like totally try to own it and fix things and I'm like some people don't need to be fixed some people just who they are and I focus on myself you know so it's been really really good Yes, good for you. Look at you reaping the fruits of your of your work, your hard work <laughs> that you've been doing. I'm so doing happy the work. for you. Thank you. How about you, Leslie? How have you how have you been? I'm doing really well, if I may say. Like mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, I just feel like I'm in a really great place. Like I have clarity. Um, I'm happy. I'm I'm trying to you know, uh, take advantage of the joy in each day and each moment, just trying to stay more present. And I feel like that's helped so much. Just, Mm -hmm. I had been feeling so overwhelmed as some of you guys know that you guys have been listening to us for a while, kind of just going through it right since the pandemic and just like everything that came after that. But I feel like I'm finally in a really great place, you know, only 30 or 30 years into the pandemic, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm just like in a really great place and like work is going really well and, um, you know, excited about the new season of Nopal Queens and just excited about what's coming, excited to share with our listeners and, and thank you guys for, you know, sticking with us along the way and being supportive. And I'm just really excited to bring you guys some new content and continue conversations um, that really impact our comunidad and around mental health and how we can continue to elevate Latino and Latina voices. So I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yes, I know. And I, I'm proud of us for like keeping the momentum. And even when we were in between the season, you know, just like we really want to connect with our listeners and we have and a lot of you have sent us messages and it's just really nice to keep engaging um, as we were gearing up to record for the season. Um Sometimes we feel like when we take a break, we're taking a whole break, but it didn't feel like that because of the engagement we had in between the, the seasons. So thank yeah. you listeners for that. It was really awesome. Um, yeah. Gloria, how are you doing? Yeah, how are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I think that the last five months have been really instrumental for me in my growth and my healing. And the biggest takeaway that I am having when I say I'm good is that healing is always going to be continuous. And I'm very accepting of that. So in combination with like therapy and having the ability and time to educate myself on better eating and feeding myself and those I love much better, I'm much more happier that way. So kind of letting a lot more things roll down, if you will. Yeah, just like Sirena said, you're kind of just going with it, right? Not giving energy to things that don't deserve your energy and you know, it's almost 2023, guys. Like, we got to protect our peace at all costs. So it's mm-hmm. so great to hear that you yep. are doing so well. Mm-hmm. So, Gloria, I would love to hear more, and I'm sure our listeners, too. Um, just tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you're doing right now. Um, 
and yeah, like your mission and, um, and how you got into this work. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in corporate spaces for the last 10 years and I realized that I've been in positions or I've always allowed myself from a behavioral standpoint to be in a position where I'm always serving. I'm always saying yes to a lot of things, regardless, right, of obtaining organizational success. And in reflecting how I've been historically behaviorally at work, I then went back and thought, well, you know, I kind of have to go back and revisit that child. What is my relationship with work and why is work such an ultimate driver of success or perceived success for me? And so that's why I started my organization, because when I was in or when I was working at companies, I always felt alone. And I've heard this constantly time and time again amongst a lot of first generation Latinos. We're the first to enter corporate spaces. We're the first to go to college and there's, there was no resources. And so to give you an example, when organizations talk about psychological safety or let's say utilizing my voice at work, that means something completely different for me as a Latina who grew up in South Central Los Angeles to immigrant parents. But when you look at the research, the research is looking at a larger group of people that are not me. And so mm-hmm. psychological safety can be broken down and, and means something completely different. And so that's why I started it because I wanted to now start to utilize research and start to understand what is essentially missing across the board. What are those barriers and how can we educate not only the first generation population, but also the organizations on improving organizational frameworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely. Amazing. I think that's awesome. Gloria, like, you know, we were talking about a little bit earlier, like there's just no, no path for for Latinos, especially those of us who are immigrants or have um, immigrant families and parents and we're raised in those spaces like we just we don't know what we don't know. Right. And and we don't fit in these boxes, these traditional white boxes um, where the research has been done based on on their population. Right. But we just have completely different experiences. And I think what you're doing is going to definitely open up, I think, a lot of opportunities and doors for us and just continue to, to learn about what works for us in these spaces specifically. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I feel like um, sometimes like it's good that we have representation. Like that's the, fir- there's like mixed emotions, right? Like, oh, it's awesome. I'm representing my gente. Like I'm the first in this position and, you know, we're at the table. And I recently completed a Latinx leadership program And one of the sessions we had really focused on this exact theme. And basically what they were, you know, as a group, we what we explored together was this idea of like, you're not the only one, you're just the one in that space. But there are Latinos everywhere taking up space and together collectively, we are starting to increase our representation. And so again, this is a training program for leaders to take on positions. So they're like, training us right so they're moving it forward a bit and they were like so do not get caught up in the fact that you're the only one remind yourself you're just the one in that space and stay committed to your piece your part at the table like whatever the decisions are going on lean into those decisions don't get sidetracked that you're just the only one at the table and I just thought that was so powerful because I think that can hold us back 
sitting at the table and being the only one, that's like what we start focusing on. And then we forget why we're actually at the table and that we have a voice at the table and to actually go ahead and use that voice, right. And move forward. And I thought that was powerful. Now that I'm sitting at tables, I find myself like not stopping and getting distracted by that, but actually like, what are we here to do today? And I'm going to make sure I'm heard. And so I don't know what you think about it. Do you hear about folks experiences just being the one you know, because I know that can be an experience. Like I had to be told, don't do that <laughs> before I didn't do that. Right. And so, and it's very interesting, right? Because these are workplace politics or office politics that our parents don't necessarily talk to us about. And so we are walking into spaces, as we had talked about earlier, that are primarily built on white perspectives, understandably so, right? When we think about America and how America has been built and there's so many systemic Mm -hmm. issues across the board. However, I have been hearing a lot of Latinos, you know, and Hispanics now start talking about what the experience is for a person of color, let's say a first generation Mm -hmm. Latino in a corporate space. So to give you an example, I've always came across other Latinos in my organization but I always gauge how much I really want to open up because I there's that politics, there's that trust, and that still makes you feel very much alone. But if we're having this conversation today and I've heard others have this conversation on reaching out to one another, then maybe we can go ahead and start to break this dynamic of fear. And that fear, I think, is coming from not my fellow Latino. It's coming from an, uh, a person from power and privilege, which is something I do talk about and write about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, like, we, we have been just indoctrinated, right? We've, we've grown up in the system, like, whiteness is, is the aspiration, right? White supremacy is what's been put at the at the top. And so even Latinos, you know, like, that's what they aspire. There's, there's many that that's what they aspire to do. So they don't look for maybe other Latinos or other people of color to try to like build with or connect with or network with, you know, it's just like, oh, well, I made it. So now I'm just going to keep moving up and, you know, going in these spaces with these white people that may not be giving them the space, you know, to really be who they are, but because they're like willing to assimilate, like they take them in and they just continue to perpetuate, you know, all of these systems of oppression and, these dynamics that just don't work for us as people of color. Exactly. And I will say one of the things I noticed um, about five months ago, I got laid off. And one of my biggest fears was, let's say, having a dinner party or people over and someone asking me, you know, what are you doing right now for work? And I was just so fearful of that. And one of the things I realized and I actually came across this in some of the research I, I am doing is that we as Latinos don't ask each other what we do as often as we probably should. And so there's less networking even within our community. And so I realized that and I was like, oh, I don't have to worry too much about people asking me because we don't naturally do that anyway, which Mm -hmm. we should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I know. I think about like just the experience of navigating spaces where people are... um, I don't know. I think just like making assumptions, right? Like, especially if you're in a position where the 
folks you're working with aren't around Latinos themselves. They themselves, like you might be the Latino person that they are engaging with in their life. And how many of those folks have like um, assumptions about us. And when we want to go for leadership positions, right? Like all they can assume about us is what they think they know and they fall to stereotypes. So I do feel like there is a dynamic of um, even though we may have our voice and that's all great, there is still that cult, the shift that the company has to make of letting go of stereotypes and letting go of what they think of us. Because I know people uh, talk about that. Like we, sometimes we use the word imposter syndrome, but what we're really saying is the space is racist and I can feel it. And there's a yeah. difference because sometimes it is imposter syndrome. We're like, you're great. You're just having a little bit of a, hard time getting there and accepting it and then there's the actual yeah. like no that space is racist I can feel the vibes that's different but I think we still blanket it all with this term imposter syndrome I'm like no that's different that's a racist space that you felt and and that made you doubt yourself you know and that's I just feel like that's something we don't talk about enough imposter syndrome sort of puts it on us to like oh just believe in yourself right and so I don't know if you have thoughts yeah. about that yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's so powerful what you just said, because, and I was actually talking to a lawyer, an employment lawyer about this, the organizations today, right, there's a lot of policies and things that they should not be doing when it comes to workplace discrimination. However, when we look to, let's say, choose a group of people to lay off, or someone to, you know, a particular person to lay off, which was in my, in my case, you're not really looking at taking into account all the biases or all the covert ways that discrimination can show up. And so to your point earlier, La Sirena, being the only Latina to represent a particular space, when we're not looking at the comparison of, let's say, my white counterparts, that is how essentially, you know, racist environments are created. But when we want to educate, let's say, a corporation or an HR individual, it is, it's a very offensive and you do not talk about it conversation. Mm -hmm. um, like very and, taboo. Very, very taboo. Very taboo. And one of the things, I'm, I'm jumping a bit ahead here, but one of the things that I'm also working on is advertising that a lot of, what a lot of organizations are doing when they ask individuals to leave is they'll usually ask you to sign some sort of agreement, right? Which is a settlement agreement, a severance agreement, a non-disclosure agreement, et cetera. And usually there's discrimination kind of rooted as the core as to why that person is leaving. And then they're asking that person mm -hmm. to sign a document, which is, let's call it what it is. It's a silence document yeah. uh, for you mm -hmm. not to go talk about what just happened. But here in California, as of this year, there was a law that passed and it's called silence no more. And what that means is that in a settlement agreement, you have to add that if a person felt discriminated, they can talk about that experience. If the person felt felt mm -hmm. like they were being silenced because of sexual abuse, they can talk about that, that experience. And so anything that is protected within the like, EEOC like, umbrella, that's like regardless they can talk of about. Mind. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Regard yeah, regardless of that. Um, so it's still very much present. It's now just more coverted because those policies are being met but now, much like a lot of things morph, discrimination, particularly in the workplace, is also morphing as well. And so a lot of 
and you know, I'm mentioning uh, Latinos because we're talking about the topic, but people of color in general are feeling alone, silenced, and you know, where do I go from here? Am I making things yeah. up? And so we're rumor ruminating a lot. Oh, you can feel so helpless. I know someone um, very close to me who just got a new job after being essentially pushed out of their company. They were the only Latina. They were the first Latina supervisor for their unit. And it just, and they're not in California. They're in another state where they're very underrepresented anyways as a population, Latinos. But um, so, and I, she was just sort of at the mercy of people's assumptions. Um, basically, she knew that they didn't want her in leadership, but they would be, they were able to go about it in different ways where it never landed on racism and it was just really hard for them to prove it. Um, and so it was almost like a helpless situation because she knew what was happening because she would see how they would use terms that were outdated and racist. So she knew who she was dealing with and she's no different, right? She's a person of color and she hears how they talk. So, but it was just so hard to pinpoint. And I don't know, have you, you know, worked with a lot of folks who just are in that situation? Yeah. Um, so that is a very common experience that people are having across the board is that to your point, like they are following policies and they are, um, they're denying a lot of things. And so what happens is when I, when I experience that microaggression is the, the rumination happens, the, oh, well, you know, it was just this one time or strike one for the organization. And oftentimes what you would wish you would do, right, when it's all kind of piled up and everything's kind of solidified that this in fact was discrimination or racism, what you wish you did at that moment was document everything through email or document as much as you can. But when you experience that first microaggression or what I've seen across the board is that first microaggression kind of paralyzes people and you're thankful for being in that position, right? We fall kind of to these like cultural like norms and behaviors that if I were to have sent that email, it would have targeted me from the beginning. So I'm going to think that I'm not target and then, you know, things end, end up hitting the fan depending on on how much right of that abuse you want to take or, or don't take. Yeah, no, that's so true. Like I, I, I remember in the last company that I worked for, um, I heard about an employee that I didn't work with directly. Um, he worked in, in a different part of the business, but he was a Latino gay man and he was kind of high up there um, in leadership, but they just, they just did not want him there. And they did everything they could to like the way that they would speak to him, the way that they, the tone of emails that he would receive. And like, he took it up with HR, supposed to be anonymous, right? But he ended up he ended up getting fired. He ended up getting let let go, and I and I can't remember if he ended up like, you know, suing and and trying to get um, some compensation, right, for wrongful mm -hmm. termination because he was really amazing at what he did. But they just didn't want him in that space, and I think he was one of one <laughs> Latino, and then a Latino gay man, you know. So on top of that, he's already facing the barriers of of being gay, and then the barriers of being Latino in a in that white space, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's awful because you do feel like you want to be able to speak up, but there is that fear. 
because at the end of the day, H HR is there to protect the company, not the employees. And that's the sad part that even I recently learned because I thought, well, you know, HR is supposed to be there to like, to now help and protect. And uh, one of my old coworkers was like, no, they're there to protect the company and they're there to cover their ass, you know? And so it's, it's almost like I'd rather not say anything because I don't want to jeopardize my job. I've worked so hard, you know, my parents worked so hard coming to this country and, you know, to get me here to, so that I could have these opportunities, like I don't want to get fired or I don't want to lose my job. And then here I am struggling because I don't come from generational wealth as most of us do not, you know? So it just, it, it becomes really hard because it's like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. But when we don't speak up, we're continuing to perpetuate that. And so I think the work that you're doing, Gloria, is is really amazing. And I know there's there's work that that's happening around that as well. And so we just got to continue to push that forward and elevate that and continue to give that space to people. Absolutely. And one, one of the things I will mention is that, as I'm sure we've all heard, there's critical race theory that's happening at an educational setting there should be more of a push on human critical human resources development which is essentially looking at the in like all the re all the research that Kimberly Kimberly Crimshaw does with intersectionality to push that into the space of HR so when we build organizational frameworks or core values or leadership frameworks we now start looking at it through the lens of is this being inclusive of all people or what particular population are we studying, etc. And so I think that we should push and talk about these conversations more and, and do believe that there's organizations out there that are that are doing the right work to get this up and running. But that is something of conversation for sure. Well, how do you feel HR? Do you feel like HR is equipped in keeping up with these times? You know, we are trying to move towards a more inclusive world. Um, how do you feel HRs are doing right now? I think having worked in a startup technology, the startup technology space, but also having worked for a larger organization, um, it, it's it's very interesting to, I think having worked in the, startup technology space, but also having worked in a larger organization, there's a, a there's a difference between your HR professionals. Your HR professionals at a larger corporation um, are going to have more niche people to work on and they might have different opportunities, et cetera. They might be more experienced. But what I found is that at startups, they're not as experienced or they are experienced in terms of like being in the workforce much longer, but they're much newer to the HR space. And so given that startups are agile, there's a difference in that delivery. And, um, and research even has said this particular to startups, startups themselves, they do, people do experience a bit more discrimination there because of the agileness, the uh, level of knowledge they have from an HR perspective, and then, you know, the diversity and the opportunity that I know people are trying to kind of like uh, expand. So it's just really depends. Yeah, I think that's something that um, I see a lot is, you know, some HRs, they just, I think they're looking for what I call Hollywood racism, 
where it's like so blatant, right? And it's like out there. But there's so many times when folks have felt harassed at work, uh, bullied, mm-hmm. and they can't exactly, s- they know what it is, but they, you know that term race lighting? It's like gaslighting, but of racism. Yeah. And so they race light themselves because they, and some folks actually probably have gone to their HR or union rep and are told they don't have any recourse. Um, so I think that happens a lot because we're still not ready to see like full racism, you know, right? and white supremacy and things like that. So, um, and we just want to see, and we, you, it's almost like they need to hear somebody actually say it. It's like, well, no one's ever going to say it. Right. Yeah. Like, right. You know, it's, it's just implicit. But it's yeah. But then we are still dealing with it. We are still bullied. We are still harassed. Like, I know a lot of folks that share that, um, you know, those experiences, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And then they can't go to HR, and HR won't help because they're looking for something totally different and very concrete. Yeah. Well, there's more data that HR organi- or HR departments can start to collect, um, and that is data around socioeconomic class. That is... Mm-hmm. Um, data around different different ways that we can go ahead and start to really puzzle piece different ways that people show up. And there's a lot of ways to get creative when we think about what are the identities, when we think about intersectionality, how can I go ahead and build a program or a framework that's really looking at people across the board or um, educating people to really be inclusive from a perspective standpoint of different paths and different stories. And there's I've kind of battled back and forth with with including or how to include kind of trauma in the mix, because I understand, right, that if we bring in trauma into the workplace, it is breeding discrimination, depending on how organizations deliver that or collect that, et cetera. But I do believe that there's something to be said about the trauma that we experience as first generation professionals as Latinos, as people that primarily come from low socioeconomic backgrounds and now are in spaces where not only do we have to figure out the norms, not only are we disadvantaged from where we possibly went to school because they're expecting high accreditations, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And so there's just so much that is unspoken about and there's so much that still needs to be determined on how organizations can effectively put it into, into into a framework. Mm-hmm. And that's basically where, where you come in, right? This is the work that you're doing so that you are able to build that framework that organizations can hopefully start to learn and implement down the line. Because I know I remember when I first got in, got into corporate um, financial services and I was like, okay, I think I can really see myself. Like, I think this is what I want to do. Like I'm in marketing, like I'm really liking it. And, and I didn't get my undergrad in business but I was really enjoying it. I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I could connect. I wasn't connecting. I didn't understand the, the lingo, the business acumen. Like I was just trying to learn it all. And I had a, um, a colleague who's a, a white male. And I remember telling him like, hey, you know, like I want to be a chief marketing officer one day. Like that's my goal. And he was like, oh, well, if you don't go to like a top 10, you know, business school, like you're never going to get that. And I'm like, 
okay, like, fuck you, first of all, <laughs> white man. Challenge accepted. Like, yeah, yeah, like, what the fuck do you know? Just like everything's yeah. been handed to you your entire life. You have no idea what I've had to go through to get here. So if I want to be a fucking chief marketing officer of a company one day, that's what I'm going to do. Even though like I was in my head like, fuck, maybe I do need to go to like a really good school. But right. Like, <laughs> like right. Still. I, I can't afford a fucking, you know, Columbia or fucking even, even uh, UC Berkeley, you know, it's amazing yeah. business school. But I was like, I just can't get myself into that kind of debt. And I did what I could as far as like school and, and, and where I went and got my master's. And, and I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of where I am now. And I'm excited about where I'm going, whether that's in corporate, whether that's in right now I'm in fintech or whether I decide to um, follow your steps, Gloria, and just start my own thing, you know, like whatever it is, I know that I'm going to thrive. And I'm just excited to see that there are people like you and like other people of color and Latinos who are creating these spaces and being like, it's okay for you to be who you deserve to be here. And you should be speaking up, you know, and help, helping us collectively to build that um, confidence and get ourselves mm -hmm. out of that imposter syndrome. Because, you know, to your point, Tirana, like we shouldn't even be looking at that. We have so much more historical context that goes into how we show up in these spaces mm -hmm. that our white counterparts don't have to deal with. So I almost feel like, you know, I've heard like when you say um, imposter syndrome, like, does that really apply to people of color? You know, like, so I don't know, there's just so much. I don't know what your opinion is, uh, Gloria, on that. But I just feel like yeah. I want to I don't even want to keep saying imposter. Syndrome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've definitely caught myself saying imposter syndrome. I've caught myself talking about my authentic self, all these buzzwords. But then I go back and I'm like, okay, you know, when we think about imposter syndrome, I, wor I worked the last organization I worked for, I remember I was talking to a colleague of mine and I was trying to share with her that I had imposter syndrome and where I was trying to get to before she cut me off was that I'm really nervous because I don't know anybody else like me. I'm really tense in a lot of these conversations and I'm mentally and physically drained because not only do I feel like I have to sound the part, but I have to be perfect. So there's just so much at stake. That's what I wanted to say, but I quickly got cut off and said, "This everyone here is smart. Everyone has imposter syndrome. And the conversation stopped. And I walked away feeling like imposter syndrome can't possibly be the same as it says in literature, as it's adopted by, you know, larger organizations, you know, however, let's say, you know, white people use it naturally we, and maybe this is our time, right, to start exploring a new word or seeing if there's other people mm -hmm. researching this word because that word is in fact holding us down from something that means a lot more because our story is completely mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, that's why like I do adopt that technique where I'm like, okay, I'm the only one here, but I'm not the only one. I'm just a the one here and it just helps me feel good because I do literally know and I'm looking at two people in front of me that they are out there doing stuff too I'm literally not the only Latina doing things right there's thousands of us doing stuff 
And when I think of that, I'm like, okay, so they're just physically not in my space, but they're out there doing things. And so I am too. And I definitely do lean on that and, and get myself to these spaces that I, you know, I'm in sometimes. Um, I now I'm at a university where there's like so many Latinas everywhere. It's kind of cool. Um, so I don't have that right now in my job anymore, but I do remember um, how much that helped me because otherwise we'll all default to feeling afraid that we're the only ones because of this historical context of how we've been treated. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I, if I get caught up, I, I will, you know, get, I'll feel afraid. Like, what are people thinking of me? Are there stereotypes, you know, that are floating around or I've definitely been underestimated. There we go. I get underestimated a lot, which is kind of funny. Um, it's fine. I give people time. I'm like, oh, you'll see. <laughs> I can do more than you thought I could do, or I'm smarter than you thought I was. And it's kind of funny, though, just to see that and then to see that moment. And I'm sure our listeners, like there are some of you out there who know what I'm talking about, where you just let somebody underestimate you because you know you're going to shine anyway. It's just who you are. You have good work ethic. You have excellence. Right. And so and people and mind you, mediocre people like undermine me sometimes. I love that. So I'm like, okay, that's okay, Right. And then, you know, like you just do your thing and people go, oh, wow. Like they get surprised that you knew something or that you have a certain degree. Or, you know, if I tell people I'm a licensed therapist, like, oh, and I'm like, you know, and I literally still have people tell me, like, you know, if I'm considering grad school. I'm like, are you kidding me? I did grad school and I'm licensed. <laughs> um, so I just feel like, you know, just this idea of community and representation, how important it is. And um, also for us just to, re- like, to your point about imposter syndrome, just like remembering who we are, but also just remember that there are a lot of us out there doing this work every single day. We're ne- we're with you. We're just not physically with you, but we're all doing something. Like reach out to five of your friends, Latina friends, and say, how are you a chingona today? They will all have their moment, right? Like everyone's doing something, which I think is so powerful. Um, but it, I was going to ask you too, um, Gloria, how about your own like – like, I want to know, like, what does a day look like for you in your organization? So, like, what does a day or a week look like for you and your work? Yeah. So, it's a lot of brainstorming. They One of the things that is never really discussed is when you're looking to do your own thing, run your own business, there's a lot of back and rumination. Like, how am I going to talk about office politics differently than what is out there or How am I going to make this useful for the audience? And so you're constantly thinking about these ideas. And then when you finally put those ideas out there, and we were talking about this earlier with La Estrella, is now I have anxiety from those. And so I'm learning to not have those. But it's really a lot of what am I working on next and how do I want to get it out there? Is it, you know, going to be through kind of like a a document that I'm sharing Um, and advertising through, um, let's say, my social media outlets, or is it actual content that I want to build and then kind of get the word out there? So it's really a lot of that brainstorming. And then primarily of my, the things that I do primarily is the research. So looking at what sources I can use. I am a very green organization. So I figured out how to get a lot of free resources um, and that's been very awesome. useful and rewarding. Yeah. 
but a lot of it is looking at the research and then also trying not to get triggered. A lot of the times I am reading things that is validating experiences that I've had and then having to kind of walk away and take a break and allowing myself to be okay. And there is this race, right, that I am having with myself, not with others. And I think that's a, a healthier way to, to put it. That's awesome. Right. And then along those lines, of course, you know, we're, we're Nopal queens and we like to focus on mental health as well. So how has your own mental health been impacted, not only by the barriers that you've experienced, but now the work that you're doing? So, you know, you're touching on it a little bit and like getting triggered and bringing up, you know, trauma, right? So kind of yeah. having to relive that through your, through your research. So how have you dealt with that? You know, it's been a roller coaster. I want to say about two weeks ago, I've been in a much healthier place when I have thoughts about work and I'm not so hard on myself because there is still there still was a lot of negative talk there still was this idea that how i was defined or the way that i've been treated historically is how i've been deserved to be treated and so i've been in a better space lately but like i said earlier when i do the research it does trigger me a lot because it does validate some of the actions and the behaviors that are seen across the board at a corporate level um but I also do take the time to take a break. I talked about that nutrition piece a lot. And then I also rely on therapy. And so the therapy that I'm currently doing right now is somatic therapy and brain spotting. And those two, those two combined have done wonders for me. And they've actually been quite helpful as I start to research and write. So the somatic therapy, the reason I decided to start it was because in my last job, I was feeling before I started, I was feeling very anxious before, you know, starting work. And so I started to do a lot of meditation. But what I realized was when I, when I was doing the meditation, I started to understand things about my childhood and my relationship with work. And I didn't know how to understand that better than just what it was. And so I was walking into work, just feeling a bit more sad than actually more powerful. And so when I started somatic therapy, we started to do a lot of the inner child work. And I realized that as a young kid, I would physically go clean houses with my mom. And so as a young kid, I learned the power dynamics of what it was to be respectful of el jefe y la jefa. And then I brought these behaviors into corporate settings. Mm -hmm. And I was still that little kid, but all this whole time, I had mourned that little kid. I was like, the little girl from South Central LA is way gone. No one cares about her story. She's ne you're never gonna hear about her. But now I have the opportunity to understand that that little girl from South Central LA learned classism, racism, otherism at a very, very young age. And it stuck with me. And now in therapy, I'm unlearning it. And it's very, very, it's very, very jarring to go through that process. I think we've internalized what people think of us. Like some of this is actually people would agree with you and want you to feel that way about yourself, right? And so we internalize these messages that people tell us like, yeah, you're right. You are, you know, I am over you. And I, because that's just the way the world is. And so we've internalized the way they have treated us. And then when we push back and say, no more, I'm not internalizing this anymore. I could be your boss or I'm totally capable of that raise or that promotion. 
right? It's like that is where people get triggered and they're like, oh, no, or we get undermined or we don't get picked first. So I just feel like that is such a powerful thing that you said. Oh, you also mentioned something about nutrition. Is it okay if I ask about that? Yeah, absolutely. What were you, what kind of work are you doing with that? Um, So this is more like, like work for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I read a book called Food Fix, I want to say last year, and the book basically tore apart how the food system, starting from, you know, agriculture, is just broken in so many different, in so many different ways, right? And at that moment, I realized, oh, you know, growing up in South Central LA, there was a liquor store just about every corner. We didn't eat the healthiest food. We ate the most sugary food. Mm. And and the things that I crave today are the things that are very much part of my culture, which is like eating out. And I know that I shouldn't because it's not good for me, et cetera. And so having this time to actually stop and learn how do Brussels sprouts influence my body or how do, you know, how does eating broccoli clean my system? And and being a little bit like, in, and not by no means am I eating drastically unhealthy or was I, but I have the privilege to sit down and look at the food that I'm buying or to be knowledgeable that I can buy certain organic foods and what they're doing to me. And that's just been, it's been such an interesting dynamic moving from different socioeconomic classes because I grew up in a low socioeconomic class. And now I find myself in a middle socioeconomic class and I don't know, or I'm learning what it's like to be in a privileged position, what it's like to have the luxury, right. To, to eat healthy, something as simple. Oh my gosh, Gloria, that's such a good point. Like, I feel like, I, I, I feel like I grew up that way too, right. Low, low socioeconomic not access to a lot of healthy foods, whole foods, grocery stores that provided, you know, whole or organic foods, like, and that just wasn't even really a thing, you know, even in the 90s, like the whole organic movement, you know, Um, I spend my days like eating like crap. And sometimes even like my mom was an amazing cook, and she she would always cook for us. But I was, I don't know, like, I was so picky. I my sister, even till this day would be like, it was so weird. Like you just wanted to eat like frozen foods that like I would see like white families eating on TV, you know, like I just wanted to just shitty mm-hmm. food. And so I'm also mm-hmm. still unlearning all of those bad habits. And I, I feel like you, you bring up a good point. I still find myself having those kind of like, whoa, like I have access to all of these things that I didn't have access to as a kid that my parents didn't have access to. And it really is such a privilege. And, you know, I really want to make sure that I teach my kids about that and that they are privileged to be able to have access to these foods and that there's still people all over the country and all over the world that don't have that access. So I'm definitely really Mm -hmm. grateful for that. But sometimes, sometimes I do feel like this feels weird. Like, I don't even like, when did I become this adult in this world that like, feels like I almost don't fit in sometimes, you know, like I didn't grow up in a middle class neighborhood with a nice carro del año. And you know, like, yeah, sometimes it feels foreign too. like, like, I have to like, Oh my God, this is like, I did it. Like, this is what I always wanted. And I was able to create that life, you know, for myself. But I think it is important to 
to take a look at that and, you know, continue to unpack it as, you know, we, we do our therapy and we continue to unlearn all of these things that we, that we've learned from the systems and the environment that we've grown up in. Yeah. And I, and actually now that you say that it reminds me of when I was working at my last job in particular, I would always make sure that I sat in a particular area that only showed a particular background. And a lot of my colleagues would move around their houses. They would, you know, show their kitchens and their backyards. And I would feel very uncomfortable, even though I had similar things, I could not go and sit in my kitchen or go show like certain aspects of my house because someone like me in my head shouldn't have that background. And these are things that I did not realize I was doing until I left and I allowed myself to kind of unpack my behavior at work and who I was trying to be. Um, and I also sometimes think that there is something to be said about if I am show if I believe in myself this way, and, and granted it's it's trauma, it's experience, it's my experience historically, but if I am showing up at work this way, then it does make sense to some extent some of the reactions I'm getting back. And so to your point earlier, La Sirena, we need to show up and we need to be much more louder in terms of how we want to be seen. I just didn't allow myself to do that 100%. Oh, totally. I call it worthy work. Like I'm doing worthy work right now um, because it, it basically is just like you don't feel like you deserve these things, right? Like you work so hard and you hustle so hard, you forget when you don't have to actually hustle anymore. Like it's almost hard to, to say you've landed uh, because you don't, you're not worthy okay. or um, I don't know. It's, it's something like that's just what comes to mind in the work I'm trying to do is like, I do deserve good things. It's okay if I have good things. It's okay if I don't struggle. Um, I'm just so collectivist minded that even if I'm not struggling, the fact that people are struggling around me, I can't let myself fully relax because I'm not okay until everyone else around me is okay. And I just definitely still have that collectivist like mindset. Yeah. I feel like, uh, nos tenemos que dejar querer, you know, like mm -hmm. we just gotta, we, we gotta let ourselves be loved and complimented and all the things, you know, we're worthy and we deserve it. Um, and I think you make a really good point, Sita, on the worthy work. Like I've been doing that in little steps recently with my job because I had been feeling so overwhelmed and I didn't realize that I was always trying to do everything and like mm -hmm. all at once. And I was like, you know what? I need to start setting boundaries. And so yeah. before I keep going with my thought, I, I, as we close out the, the episode, I wanted to just put it to, to you, Sita and Gloria, like what advice would you have for young Latinx professionals? And for me, I would say what I'm doing right now, which has been very impactful and it's setting boundaries at work. So like saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to put this on my meeting. I'm not just going to accept all of these meetings. Like my time is worthy and it's valuable. And if I'm not essential to this conversation, please follow up with a summary or something like I don't need to have all of these meetings. I'm like just setting my foot down more and and like creating a space where I can work and I can thrive and not just be like, oh, I have this meeting and back to back to back and then I don't have time to do all of my day to day things, you know. So for me, that's what I would that's the advice that I would give 
young uh, Latinx professionals. Know your worth going in, set boundaries and create a space that you can thrive in so that you can work well and that you can take care of yourself and your mental health um, first and foremost. Awesome. How about you, Gloria? Yeah, uh, you have me nodding here. I'm resonating with a lot of the things that you're saying. The thing that I would add to that is to young professionals, pay attention to your behavior, your body, and the level of stress that you are undergoing, whether it be doing a task, whether it be talking to a particular person at work, pay attention to those, those things because you do have the power to step back and learn at your own pace. What is often misunderstood is, particularly if you're coming from a low socioeconomic background, there's a lot to learn when we get into corporate spaces. Corporate spaces are built uh, based on middle class or higher socioeconomic norms and boundaries, and we have a lot to learn, and we're not going to learn that from day to night. And so just pay attention to those behaviors and be kind to yourself and allow yourself to learn at a pace that is comfortable uh, for yourself. Awesome. And this is La Sirena. And just know that the future is Latina. That's yes. where we are headed. Yes. The future is Latina. You are part of that. And anytime you start to feel like you don't belong or that you don't deserve, that's just internalized messages that the society has legitimately given us. But we also have the power to, to say no to those things. These are constructs they don't actually define us and so play the long game stay focused on what your goal is um, trust yourself ground yourself and you know what you're doing and you know you can do this and so unfortunately we are going to continuously fight internalized messages but as long as you can catch it and see it for what it is you're still moving forward so before we close out, I actually want to just call out Gloria and her her, um, her business that she that she started and um, is doing research is Qualtura, uh, and her IG handle is underscore Qualtura. So that's C U A L T U R A. And so we're going to be also um, uh, posting it on our page and all of our social media pages so that. You guys can reach out um, to Gloria and, you know, Gloria, if you want to share anything else about your, your business or what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I will add is I am looking to collect more first generation professional stories, particularly around the Silence No More Act that passed earlier this year. So if anyone was recently laid off um, and understand wants to get familiar with Silence No More, there is the opportunity for them to talk about a discriminatory action. And I want to go ahead and gather a bit more data to see, right, if there's a commonality across the board that we're not speaking about or seeing. And, uh, and to add to that, uh, if you want to go ahead and sign up for that, you can find that through the Instagram handle, as Lestrea had just mentioned, but you can also find that in my website, which is Qualtura dot com particularly my blogs so thank you so much Hente, for joining us for the opening season season three and remember that the future is latina and um, go out there and be amazing chingonas Stop.